Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Julie Smolianski, who became the youngest female CEO of a publicly held firm when she took over Lifeway in 2002 at the age of 27. Today, you probably recognize Kiefer as a kitchen staple, but it's also had a fascinating backstory that many people don't know about. The champagne of dairy originated from a 2,000-year-old Russian recipe introduced to Chicago by Julie's father, Michael, in 1986. His company became Lifeway, which now produces a range of foods and probiotics that range far beyond kefir. Welcome, Julie. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you have a fascinating background, uh, this incredible kind of life life journey, and it, we certainly want to jump into all the the topics related to innovation, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, LifeWave journey and, and, and how the company kind of got to where it is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, basically, my parents and I were refugees from the former Soviet Union. Um, we left through the very early slit in the Iron Curtain, the first group of, uh, of immigrants, refugees who uh, escaped the Soviet Union in 1976. Uh, we were the first of 48 families that were settled here in Chicago and uh, really paved the way for uh, many other Soviet immigrants leaving uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, within two years, so th- we came with $116 settled you know, at O'Hare. Uh, we're settled in Rogers Park. And North Cider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and within two years, um, you know, my mom noticed that while there was so much food here in the United States, uh, th- there was ample food and she was used to complete scarcity. A lot of times she'd get to the grocery store, stand in line for half a day, get to the front of the line and all of the shelves were empty in the Soviet Union. So even though there was scarcity in, in the Soviet Union, when the food was different, the, the palate was different. So she said, you know, there's all these immigrants that are coming to Chicago and to the United States. The food is different. We should open up a deli and cater to their needs. So it was very insightful, very like, you know, intuitive kind of women intuition is it's very natural to feed your family um, and so she found this great entrepreneurial journey around food that was very natural for her so she ultimately became an importer and distributor of Eastern European food because delis were opening up in New York and Brighton Beach um, in LA and so she started cutting international deals with mostly men uh, and actually she was she was the first to import the first cases of Nutella because so when we were in exile, we were in exile for three months between the Soviet Union and the United States and while we lived in, in Italy, we lived in Rome and uh, that was the first time she tried Nutella in 1976. It wasn't here in the States yet. And she, when, when she opened up the deli, she said, you know, all the Russians are going through the same path. Everyone is exiled in Rome waiting for their papers. They're all going to try Nutella and they're going to come to the United States and see that it's not here. So we should import it. So we had the first cases of Nutella. I always wow. love telling that story. And there's a great recipe and I wrote a, key, a cookbook, a kefir cookbook, and I share that and I turn it into like a Nutella kefir smoothie thing. Oh, that sounds so, so good yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? It's so good. Uh, so, so she opens the deli and they're 
at um, they're doing well. My father became an engineer. My mom learns English reading. Um, I'm sorry, watching General Hospital. So she is completely self-taught in her English through uh, soap operas. <laughs> And which is probably like something that most immigrants experience. They actually learn English watching TV. So, so we continue on this journey. They're 10 years into the immigration journey and they go to Germany on a food buying show. And my dad buys three bottles of kefir, which is uh, the product that we make loaded with probiotics. And it's a staple throughout all of Europe, throughout Russia and in the Soviet Union, but uh, throughout different parts of Europe, they're very familiar with this product. And they uh, they decide. My my dad said America has everything, but it doesn't have kefir. And my mom says, "Well, you're an engineer and you design plants and machinery. Why don't you make it and I'll sell it in my distribution system?" And six months later, they incorporated the business and they started uh, selling kefir to whoever would buy it, mostly through my mom's distribution center, but then eventually to other retailers and. The health community, wellness communities just started kind of getting going and they realized the health benefits of kefir and that started to become known and it just grew and grew. Um, and so that's kind of like the history. And then my, my dad had the sudden, uh, unfortunate, we, we had the situation that he had a sudden heart attack and passed away in, uh, 16 years ago. Um, and my brother and I ended up taking over the company, uh, like the next day and um and we've been running it for 16 years now and successfully running it because it's uh you you certainly have a have made it grow beyond uh, i'm sure what even most people's expectations were even at the very beginning Mm -hmm. um i want to unpack a couple of things that you said because i think it's important a lot of the, the the listeners of this podcast really think about innovation from a couple of different angles but you mentioned scarcity, and I think it's so important to highlight that because in all the backstory, which I didn't realize how, how much of a, a role your mother played in mm-hmm. the, the, the parts of one coming up with kind of the idea and suggesting the fact that you should go down a food path, right. and then the distribution, um, having that network um, in, in distributing products kind of set her up for success and, mm-hmm. and almost probably – Help, help the um, trajectory of the company. One hundred percent, yeah, one hundred percent. She was really kind of the brains in many cases on um, on some of these business uh, ventures and deals and whatnot. And she said, uh, you know, she she used her female intuition, I think, and that natural desire to feed her family, feed her feed her community. Um, that was just very intuitive that ever, you know, that that's kind of, that's what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, she had a really keen business sense, uh, that is really remarkable considering all the challenges that she had not speaking the language, not knowing English, um, and, and coming in this, I, I think it's actually traumatizing for immigrants when they land here and they have nothing and they know no one. And especially at a time when there is no one to tr- blaze that trail for you when you're the first and there's no resources or translation services or anyone to help you write a resume or help you figure out how do you rent an apartment 
if you can't even <laughs> communicate. Right. So these are really kind of basic challenges that I think people don't really understand and not everyone can handle it. You know, it's a very brave thing to get up and leave everything you know at a time when there was no internet, there was nothing to Google. You could, you didn't know what life was like behind the iron curtain. That's and right. for her to, for both of them to just make this decision, it's, it's brave. It's very, very brave. And, Absolutely. uh, the, the courage is for any immigrant who decides to do, to do that kind of a move and make that kind of change. It's, it's a kind of tenacity and grit and bravery that, I just don't think you can ever fathom unless you've walked in that, those shoes. Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like your mother was quite a, in your entire family for that matter, is really focused on problem solving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I heard a couple of different scenarios within the story you just shared was really around you're presented with a challenge or you see an opportunity maybe in the marketplace. We talked about the mother's instinct or the female instinct to want to feed the family, but it turns out that that was actually a bigger uh, implied opportunity on, on the food market side. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I think when you're kind of in a place of crisis is when a lot of great, uh, great ideas come together and that, that fight to survive really shines. Um, and I think of course those skills are transferable in business because I think in business it feels like all, there's always a little crisis or big crises and we've certainly had our share. Um, but, uh, being able to move and navigate through those crisis, crises and, uh, be able to show up and uh, respond in a way that stabilizes things is is sort of in my DNA. I think, you know, my family, even back from my parents, my great grandmother was um, murdered in the Holocaust. She had the, the Nazis stormed her community and came into her home and shot her. My grandmother escaped and ran out into the forest and hid until they left, and she. She saved herself. She hid. She saved her brother and a neighbor, another child neighbor. They 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 survived, and those stories are told in our family over and over again. The 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 desire, the need to survive, and I think that humans want to survive. Ultimately, they want they they want to show their ingenuity and their their ability to survive. And so I I just think that that's kind of built in my DNA. I don't, I think that you know you kind of carry that generation to generation to generation. So speaking of storytelling, you you have quite a bit of a story yourself, right? You became the youngest female CEO of a publicly held firm. Um, what was that that like that process? Because I, I knew you you started off in a marketing yeah um, role yeah. within the company yeah um, actually I, I even uh, I studied advertising and its impact on like consumer dieting behavior so it wasn't totally far off from where I ended up in my career uh, but yeah I uh, was the director of sales and marketing right before my dad died um, I came to work for him when we were about seven million in revenue I was his first English-speaking staff person so because it was you know it's a company that was really filled with lots of Russian immigrants and whatnot and um, the uh the uh, you know i i 
really helped him get it to even to 12 million, even before he passed away, I was already kind of cutting the deals for him and learned a lot from him. I I sat with him and was his like right-hand person for about five years. Uh, So I really got a good uh, lesson and experience and just uh, firsthand experience in uh, working with him and seeing, you know, what business is about and, you know, the, he was self-taught as well. I mean, he was an engineer and uh, not a business person, but entrepreneurial and ingenuity, I guess, ran through his his blood too. So yes, I worked with him. And then the, the next day when, after he passed away, you know, we put our head down and we did the work. We were really just focused on stabilizing the company and, um, you know, making sure that we continue to do the work that we knew that we could, you know, we were in a great position and, um, the, the market was, you know, very interested in Kiefer, of course. And, um, the, the whole movement around probiotics and all of that, that, that was us like really, nobody used the word probiotics yet. We were the first to put it on and we really said that's, this, this is, even though nobody knows what this is, we have to do it because we have to share what the benefits are. We have to talk about it. We have to educate consumers about it. Uh, that that needs to happen. And uh, I even remember the first few sets of batches of the the probiotic labels that we made that we created, they, the consumers were calling and say, Oh, we want the kefir that's not probiotic. And we had to educate people <laughs> what that meant. And so of course, like now it's such a booming space. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, and it, you know, listen, it was beyond hard. I mean, you're in mourning first of all, and you know, you, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was, I knew that I wasn't going to fail. You know, I knew that, um, failure wasn't an option and that, in in reality, this this company, the tasks at hand, were my respite from my mourning. It was like part of my grieving process was to like be able to do my dad's work. Um, so I, I really loved it and uh, and continue to love it. It's my greatest joy, and um, I'm very honored that I get to lead um, in this space and help create wellness for people. Fantastic. So. One of the things that fascinates me about about your story and the story of of Lifeway is is the fact that it started off. You mentioned the palate being being different mm-hmm. from from where you were born um, to being in the states. Lifeway didn't start off as a health company, right? But the probiotics piece kind of yeah. you know changed the direction of the company a little yeah. bit based on. Was it a need or was it market timing? Was it, was it a marketing move? Was it, was it specifically? Yeah. It, yeah. It was a marketing move to some extent. Um, because so initially the product was just created for the Russian market. You know, they just said, this is for the Russians. But then when you start thinking, but Russians didn't need to be marketed kefir to. They already knew the benefits. They've grown up their whole lives hearing the stories of the benefits of kefir. So it's a 2,000-year-old product that originated in the Caucasus Mountains um, that, that the people there lived to 100 years old or more. They're, it's associated with longevity. Everyone there knows it. It's like part of the staple diet in Russia was a quart of kefir and a loaf of bread. That was lunch. I mean, scarce, like not you know, not anything fancy, but, um, you know, 
and everyone used it preventatively and medicinally and, and for all various ailments and digestive problems and if you're sick or whatever. So in the, that community inherently knew what the benefits were. But we and we knew those benefits, and my father knew those benefits. So then there's this all this other market, you know, this whole United States that has to be taught about these benefits. So that is the play there. And with the natural food space starting to grow, Whole Foods and all the other, you know, retailers and whatnot, everybody started to um, talk about wellness and health. And we started to make the connection as a as a as a country that the foods you eat impacts your health and that it has implications in diabetes, obesity, you know, and even today we're learning mental health, you know, and, and we're learning that, that kefir and the probiotics, specifically kefir, can help reduce anxiety and stress. And that's because we're lear- like just now learning the benefits of, of probiotics and the microbiome. And so intuitively what our ancestors knew 2000 years ago was that Kefir helped them feel better. And they said kefir is the good feeling drink. And it was considered a gift from the gods because it made people feel better. So now we're matching up science and research with those intuitive feelings from our ancestors and marrying that together. And that's very powerful. That's a powerful story. It's a powerful product. So um, yeah, I mean, I think people get inspired by that story of, of both my family's journey and the product story. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about innovation a little bit specifically at Lifeway in in the culture of innovation. You mentioned um, the different products in, in, in different entry points into different markets. How do you focus on innovation at Lifeway and, and what do you do to create an innovative culture? Yeah. Um, well, we're very open to innovation. We always have been. Um, it's it's very important, especially you know as we're now 30 some plus years, um, to continue to stay relevant. You know, you have to innovate because others are and if you're not doing it, then someone else will. So, you know, innovation is uh, also really, really, really important to continue to stay relevant for us uh, so that we don't just you know become an old an old company with uh, with no relevancy um, and sometimes innovation doesn't have to be so massive a massive overhaul sometimes it's it's just a new package which uh, we've been able to very successfully do. So one story, for example, is ProBugs, which is our children's line. Um, it's a it's a pouched product, so it's our kefir with some sort of, you know, various uh, formulations that benefit kids. Um, but it's, it's our kefir in a pouched product. And uh, it came through, <laughs> it's a great story too. Um, I was running the London Marathon and uh, this was 2001, 2002, 2002. So I was running the London Marathon and uh, I, I was handed a pouched product, so sort of like a Capri Sun pouch, but it had a spigot on it and it, a twist off cap and you could reseal it which was a, so much more innovative than what the Capri Sun pouch had. And it inside was like a Gatorade kind of fluid, like an energy type drink. And as I was running, I thought, this this is great. I, I've never seen a pouch like this with this resealable t- 
top. And this would be so perfect for our children's line that we've been trying to launch, but we hadn't found a good delivery system, a good package system that would be different. Something we didn't want to just put it in a bottle. So we were struggling with this delivery mechanism. This pouch was perfect. I'd never seen this kind of pouch. And so it was because of my travels, you know, sort of being in another place in another country um, that I got to see this and just really fell in love with it. I knew right away that this would be the pa- the place where we would be able to put our children's product into this kind of pouch. And so I came home, then my dad passed away, I got busy, whatever, I distracted. So sometimes it takes a little while to like, I shelved it and then it took me a while to get back to it, but I eventually did. And we became, um, and, the, and even like for the name, you know, the name and the product, the, the design of it, I was thinking one night, okay, pro, you know, probiotics, good bugs. And I kept thinking probiotics, good bugs. And it just came pro bugs. That's, that's the, that's the name. That's perfect. Trademarkable, you know, um, and the characters for, for the longest time, any sort of children's dairy product was associated with a cartoon type cow. And I was so sick of seeing, you know, these cartoon cows. <laughs> I thought, wait, why don't we take each bug and turn the bug into a cartoon and make that a character and give the bug a name and tell the story? Each bug has a story. So Princess Penelope waves her wand and all the bad bugs disappear, <laughs> you know, things like that. Like it's really fun storytelling that way. So, you know, that's, and and that ended up disrupting the entire baby food eating space that pouches eventually have become over 25% of how babies now eat. And it solved a need because what I had seen was like my friends feed their feeding their children or feeding their babies. And it was always like the spoon, you know, sitting and feeding a child with a spoon. And that takes a long time and you do that many times a day and I thought if, yeah and and if you can give a child a pouch that they can hand hold by themselves and sort of suck out sort of in between like self-feeding and a bottle and it just made a really nice uh, cross there in between that bottle and and feeding with a spoon and parents could you know get an extra 15 minutes in their day that they didn't have to do that spoon feeding ritual um, so so it, it really solved a need also for, for offering time, extra 15 minutes for, for a parent, or you could throw a snack into, you know, your car, you know, while you're driving and it's, it's got a no spill spout on it. So if a child drops it, it doesn't make a big mess and spill out. So it was really uh, a solution in some cases. And so being able to fill a need for some, you know, solve a problem is very important in that innovation process. Um, and then there's sometimes when we're innovating things and we um, sometimes just we need to innovate something to bring something new to the market to stay relevant. And even if we're not sure that it will succeed, it still serves a purpose, whether that's for storytelling or for marketing purposes or for, you know, gaining shelf space that, that, um, you know, we don't want a competitor to take. So, you know, not every innovation is a success and the majority of them aren't, but they did serve a need and they, they do serve needs. And, uh, you know, it's important to continue to stay relevant in that fashion, but still adhere to your core, successful product and, and push that also. Yeah. So one of the interesting things about the, the food industry at large is that there's so many things that are, that are happening from a disruption standpoint. Yeah. How has Lifeway been adapting to the changing customer and in, in, yeah. in the different consumer needs? 
Yeah, it's been really rough actually for everyone in the food space. Um, I mean, so one thing that we're you know kind of up against right now is sort of this like dairy movement or anti-dairy movement or the plant-based movement. So we've actually innovated a plant-based alternative to our dairy-based kefir. So we're uh, just finalizing the formulations right now. Um, So I'm really excited to get that off into the marketplace. It's called Plantiful. And uh, it's... uh, you know, it's a non-dairy version of our product. Um, so it's it's meeting the needs of the consumer. I mean, it always goes back to the consumer. What are they calling and asking about? What do they not like? What do they want? Um, and and uh, we really innovate with the consumer in mind. And sometimes it's it's their ideas even. Oh, can you do that flavor? Oh, we never even thought of that flavor or whatever. Yeah. So, so it's, it's listening to the consumer, listening to retailers, um, and also just being aware of what trends are happening in the space and how people are shopping and where they're shopping and, you know, why, um, you know, it's, uh, I think something all of us are experiencing, uh, in every industry is, is this disruption and, uh, retail and everywhere. Um, but yes, I mean, in many cases, the disruption is great because they are moving from unhealthy eating choices to healthier choices or uh, moving from, you know, going to restaurants as often to preparing things at home on their own and kind of going back to the basics um, of, of how they eat. Uh, so that helps us as well. So you talked about listening to customers and yeah. how important that is. Yeah. How specifically do you, does LifeWay a, a, approach that? Is, is it a scenario where you have an email that somebody can submit ideas to you? Do you, you um, regularly have focus groups? Uh, how, how do you go about soliciting customer feedback and how much does data play within that that process yeah we we uh, use a lot of data you know we're always looking at data of um, what's our consumer like what has it changed where are they shopping what what other things are they interested in you know how else can we leverage uh, various partnerships and whatnot to meet their needs to meet them where they are Um, well let me tell you I guess consumers are loud and vocal they'll (laughs) tell you whatever they want and whatever this is not working and also what what's working. I mean, as many, you know, complaints or, you know, asks or, you know, why I wish you did this. For as many of those we get, we get more positive response, more people just calling to say, hey, thank you for making this product. It saved my life. Um, many, many more of those. Those, I mean, all the time we get those and those are really great and uplifting and really are the things that give us purpose to keep doing it. Um, I would say that kind of for me, what was life-changing and, and helped me chart this path in this career is that one night I was um, working late in the office and a, a woman called from uh, from New York and said, you know, I just want to tell you my experience with your product that uh, I had Crohn's disease and I was scheduled for surgery. And on a whim, she was going to have 30, uh, 80% of her digestive tract removed. And she, on a whim, had heard from a friend of hers who said, you should try drinking kefir before you do the surgery because it's known to have benefits for Crohn's disease. And she tried it on a whim. And it completely changed her life. It 
within days, she started to feel better to the point where she canceled her surgery and went off all of her medication and just uses our kefir to support her health and called to tell me that story. And that's all she went, wanted to let me know about. That's amazing. And I hear stories like that all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that um, scenario, that kind of story or parents who send their kids to kindergarten and their kid is the only one who hasn't gotten sick and they believe it's because they you know, are regular drinkers of kefir. So those are the stories that are really, really important to hear and to share. And it's uplifting to know that people get such benefit and it gives us purpose. You know, it really does give us purpose to do all the hard work. So yeah. you mentioned a little bit earlier about the kefir cookbook. Yes. Tell me about that. So the kefir cookbook, I really, I, it just came out um, in March. So it's still a new book. So perfect for your gift giving pleasures, um, ideas and needs. Um, it's, uh, I, I wanted to share these stories about my family and their journey and using food as a platform, which has always been in my family. It's the way that we've always shared stories is around food. And um, it's almost like an Anthony Bourdain kind of uh, feel to it, actually. Uh, And I actually asked him for a blurb for the book, but he was busy writing with his own. So I was very sad to hear of his loss and continue to be sad, but um, so inspired by by that kind of genre of using food as sort of a starter as a bigger picture, bigger story. And and I wanted to share these stories, these, these really um, warm, charming stories about what entrepreneurial life was like with my family and in my family. Um, I share the story of, for example, there's a, a Neapolitan pizza we like um, my parents and their friends had just ordered a, a pizza. It was like twelve dollars. It was two sets of immigrant families that had you know didn't have any money. But they scraped together twelve dollars, order a pizza, and as the pizza comes, somehow this whole pizza falls over flat on the face on a pile of snow. But they look at each other and they're like, "Well." Not no money for another pizza, so they just picked up the pizza, picked up the toppings, put it back on the pizza, and everyone ate their pizza. So I tell like that story, and that yes. that's just you know it, it shares some of the hardships um, and the struggle, but I think it's a beautiful journey, and uh, I wanted to share those stories, and I also wanted to share just how versatile kefir is, how many things you can do with it, you know, from salad dressings to soups to smoothies to desserts and baking and. Um, I wanted people to just think of it as so much more than just drinking, you know, kefir out of the bottle. I've been using it my whole life in all various ways to cook. Anytime I make anything, there's always kefir in it somehow, <laughs> always, always. So I wanted to to share that and, and kind of expand people's horizons, but also maybe um, pique their own creative uh, impulses and, and see if maybe folks could be inspired to make their own interesting recipes. But you know, it's fun to cook. I think it's it's fun to learn where your foods come from. It's fun to understand um, the people who are behind them. It's it's fun to um, uh, come together in, in whether as a family or in community to cook together and then share a meal together. It's sort of these um, this uh, this this is sort of what binds us all together as community and we all eat, you know, everybody eats, no matter what industry you are, no matter what you do. One thing we all have in common is we all eat. 
does does Lifeway leverage any technologies that that allow you to connect with your customers better? We were one of the first companies to, for example, get on social media. We were, I think, the fourth company on Twitter. Oh wow! Um, we were the first company on Facebook, <laughs> um, and that's a, you know kind of going back to like my mom with her in, intuitive uh, thinking and problem solving. Because of my youth, uh, my counterparts, my counterpart CEOs were all 30, 40 years older than me. Um, they were not on social media, but all my friends were. And right. that's where my friends were connecting. And I was there. And it just dawned on me, you know, the whole Kiefer survived because of storytelling. Kiefer survived because word of mouth in those villages, people went word by word, you know, person by person, village by village. It survived. And then it came here because it literally came across the ocean with my family um, who had this desire to bring this here. And, you know, then I saw social media and the impact of word of mouth and, and sharing those stories. And it just seemed so natural to go and put the brand on social media, on, on, on Twitter, on Facebook, actually even on MySpace. Probugs, those characters that I mentioned earlier, they have MySpace pages. <laughs> I think they might be somewhere still existing in the internet world. We'll but that up. yeah, it, I mean, those that's how early we were to the idea of social media. Yeah. Um, and it was because of my youth, because my friends were all there, because I, my, my 27-year-old friends were all doing that. I remember we'd put a page up on Facebook. It was free. It didn't cost anything. You put put it up and Facebook would send a message. You're violating our viol- our, our, our policy. Uh, brands, businesses don't exist on Facebook. It's just for people. And then of course they realize that that's a huge revenue stream for them that's is to right. have businesses on, on Facebook. But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. And the same with Twitter. There was only Comcast, um, Starbucks, Whole Foods and Sun Microsystem I saw too. And I couldn't find any brands. And I would even tell my CEO friends who had big companies, hey, you really got to get on Twitter. Hey, you got to get on Facebook. And they were like, isn't that for creepy old like old men or whatever? Isn't that weird? They, they just had this idea of like the old AOL chat rooms, you right. know, that were, you know, that were creepy. But you know, eventually it us being there so early created this uh, a realness, authentic voice, uh, community building. You know, it's kind of how young people gather, how millennials gather in these um, social media communities, and that's transferable then into the real world. And you know, it's influencers and whatnot. But even Vogue said. Uh, our use of social media put us into cult-like status and avant-garde status. So I thought that was a nice little compliment, but Absolutely. yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, you, you do what you can and you find little places where you find relevancy, where you can share that story. Cause it's all about storytelling. It's all about as many times as we can tell the story, as many times as we can create an emotional connection with a consumer about our brand is, is a good thing for us. And, and for everyone, you know, it's really important, I think, to to help create those communities and um, and build that trust with uh, with your customers. And and we certainly have. And speaking of social media, Lifeway's Instagram page is amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the presentation of of, of right. food plates, etc., has been 
our whole team was salivating oh, um, thank you. before the interview, kind of looking at it, and it was uh, it's pretty amazing. So thank we definitely you. recommend people uh, following you on Instagram. Thank so, you. So last question, um, most important question of the day. What's what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Um, currently, it's probably like SoulCycle, I think, booking my classes. Um, I can't really live without getting a workout in, in, in my life. Like I find it to be very, very important and I would recommend it for everyone. I think it just is part of that healthy lifestyle, uh, component and, um, it's, it's what I preach, but it's also a huge, uh, coping skill that everyone needs to have is some place where they can go to, some place to go and release that stress, release that energy, release that ener- the, the anxiety, stress, whatever, sad, sadness or, or happiness too. Um, and the, the research on the impact of increasing your dopamine, you know, as soon as you start moving and the endorphins get going and the dopamine gets off in your brain. And, you know, I think we're so quick to prescribe a pill these days for some ailment or sadness or whatever. And, and some people do really need it. But in many cases, what you could accomplish with a 20 minute, 40 minute workout is better with much better gains than taking a pill. Um, and it, you know, it, it's, um, it's something that offers like a foundation and a footing on both good days and bad days. And the investment in that is forever. Uh, for you know, through your lifespan and offers greatness through your lifespan um, and adds time, hopefully. But yeah, I think um, that's one. And of course, Instagram. I'm on Instagram and um, checking trends and following like what influencers are doing and seeing what my own company is doing and competitors. I mean, it's sort of like everything is so based right now on that alternative universe that we're all living in. Uh, so so. Instagram, social media, and, and SoulCycle are, are important, but yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure having you on today. Thank you. Thanks if, for having me. If people wanted to follow you uh, on social media, where can they find you? I'm at Julie Smolanski on all the platforms. <laughs> yeah. So Instagram is one that I, I've kind of gone off. I've, I found it to be very hard to manage many of them all at the same time. And, and so I've just kind of decided to f- focus more on uh, Instagram at these at this moment. Um, we'll see if that continues or something else. But yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, well, it's very you. accessible too. I feel like it, and which is how this whole interview came to be. It was from you know your colleague uh, who reached out to me and had been following me on Instagram and, and had invited me to to do this show. So um, uh, it, it does sort of uh, cut through a lot of the bureaucracy in trying to reach somebody. And if if you know, I, it was just, it, it, I think, and, and so many things like that have happened where people reach out through another angle versus like an email or something, which everyone is so overloaded with the email. So finding that next new way to connect with somebody is really important, I think. So, yeah. And it's fitting because you've mentioned LifeWay kind of emotional connections and how important that is. And yeah. it sounds like not only do you do that in business, but you do that personally too. So, We thank you for your time, and we really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed talking with you guys. Our pleasure.
Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.